0: Okay, good evening. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study, the book of Ezekiel part 3. Uh, let's begin in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to go into your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, you help us understand uh, Ezekiel and the prophet and the message and the meaning behind it, but also what it means for us as a church today. Uh, what understanding do we take from this? What application do we take from this, Lord? And so, Father, I thank you for those that are here, those that are on the way, those that couldn't make it, those that are listening via podcast. Lord, we thank you that by your Spirit, you want to impart to us what we need to know, what we need to understand, and provoke us tonight for thought, question, response, whatever is needed as we uh, go through chapters 4 and possibly chapter 5 tonight. So in this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a little uh, housekeeping issue with Ezekiel. Remember, it's signs and visions. None of this is actually happening. So sometimes when we read it and we think, this is what he's doing, or this is what he had to do. No, he's getting signs. Well, he, first chapter, he got a vision of who God is. He got a vision of the Holy Spirit. And then he gets these signs. And so, you know, from between now, from chapter 4 to chapter 24, it's signs. And a sign is what? It directs you. He's saying, this is what I want you to say, but he uses this imagery and uh, he uses imagery uh, in language, he uses it uh, in their manners and customs to to show them where their sin was why they were in bondage, and how God is going to bring them back. So tonight we're going to we're going to get into some of that imagery uh, and some of these signs. But again, signs are warnings. Also, you know, it's a sign. It's a it's a warning. And uh, uh, so, as you as you get a sign, as you glean a sign, uh, again, it's it's a warning. It's like if you're traveling down a road and you see a sign, it's a warning. You know, even safe, not safe, whatever it is, but it guides you. So signs uh, are warnings. So when Ezekiel chapter four, verse one to three, for those of who just walked in, basically what I was saying was that just remember tonight we're dealing with still signs and visions. We're not, he isn't actually doing these things, but God is giving him a representation of what he's going to do and how ezekiel is going to do it so we'll kind of walk through it tonight chapter four verse one to three it says now you son of man get yourself a brick place it before you and inscribe a city on it jerusalem then lay siege against it build a siege wall raise up a ramp pitch camps place a battering ram against it all around Then get yourself an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is the sign to the house of Israel.
1: I get a picture of a kid with his Lincoln Logs or Legos and toy soldiers, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and that's, 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 yeah, exactly, you know, um, um you know he's he's showing him something here and so what is he showing him
1: what is it what is he what is he telling him here that Jerusalem's going to get besieged and uh I, I was wondering about that pan I'm wondering if that me is is that representative of the uh, armies or whoever that's besieging the city or is there the uh, a kind of a symbol that what symbol? Uh, the the iron pan.
0: Oh yeah, it's an iron plate. It's an iron. It's like an iron wall uh, between mm-hmm. them. It, does, does
1: that mean nobody from the outside can come and help them on the inside, or, or uh, I'm kind some of, of
0: that? There's there's a couple things going on here. Hold on to that thought. Any other thoughts about uh, what? We get
1: your this? guard up.
0: Get your guard up.
1: Uh, That's
0: why I see that break when you. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's telling he's Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's to say something to Jerusalem, and if you know Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a city that had walls, but when they were uh, taken off the land, those walls were torn down. And they they they, they uh, uh, plundered the temple and all that. So the sign is is Jerusalem under siege. And basically what he's saying is that again the prophet Ezekiel is coming and prophets come and say, thus says the Lord to you, based on what you're doing or what you're not doing, right? So in, this, in their case, he's, he's talking to people that are in exile, they're off the land, and he's saying, go to them and say, this is why you are in the situation you're in. So again, now you said a man, get yourself a brick, place it before you, inscribe a city on it, Jerusalem. Brick represents the mortar that the walls were built on, right? And so he says, what city? Jerusalem. So there's no doubt. And so he's talking to the heart, the center of Israel. That's Jerusalem, right? That's where the temple was at. That's where worship was at. That's where leadership was at. That's where the treasury was at. That's where everything was at. He says, lay siege against it. Now notice, this is like a a military campaign here. Build a siege wall, raise up a ramp how how do you how do you go against a city with walls? you raise a ramp then you, you 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 go over the wall, raise up a ramp, pitch camps. what do they do before they 're going to go into battle around a city? they pitch camps all around it so he's telling Ezekiel, you know this is a spiritual warfare, and later on you know we 're going to get the 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 understanding that that they are off the land because they failed spiritually. They failed theologically. They failed to heed God's call. And so this is this, the reason he's getting visions and he's getting signs is because it's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual battle. And he's preparing Ezekiel for this 22-year ministry that he's going to have against people that God calls stubborn, obstinate. They didn't follow. They didn't listen. They're in this predicament, and they're not going to listen to you any more than they listen to me. This is what he said to me. Remember, we read that uh, last week, I believe it was.
1: House of Rebellion.
0: Yes, House of Rebellion. And uh, verse 3, it says, Then get yourself an iron plate, and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face towards it, so that it is under siege, besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. Okay. So again, this isn't actually what happens. You're not going to get this little guy out there with this iron plate in front of Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and he's hiding behind it and he's yelling, "Eh!" no, that's not what's happening. Because they're not even in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. So when he says Jerusalem, that's the spiritual center of the people. So he's talking to them spiritually. He's saying, you know, this 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 is a spiritual to the spiritual house of Israel to Israel as a, as a, as a nation. So he's, he's going right to the heart of it here. Uh, let's see. Uh, again, it's a sign to Ezekiel. It's not something that he actually does. And that's why sometimes when we read this and we think he's actually going to do this, it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is hard to do. Why would God have him do that? But it's signs. And again, he's getting signs like he did The the vision in chapter one, where he didn't really understand what he was seeing, because he was getting a vision of the Holy Spirit and a a vision of God. So he's explaining this in in limited language, right? I mean, how how are you going to describe the power, the authority, the magnificence of God if you got a glimpse of God?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, how how would you describe that? It's like it's like somebody said somebody was talking about the rainbow the other day and there's what seven seven or eight colors in the rainbow. Uh, how would you describe colors that are not in the rainbow that actually exist? How are you going to explain them? You're going to have to come up with some sort of language, but it's going to fall short of what it actually is because it can't match what, what it really is. And so you're trying to explain something. So this is what's going on here. Thoughts, questions, comments. Okay, verse 4, 4 to 8. <clears throat> and then he says, As for you, lie down on your left side and lay the inequity of the house of Israel on it, so you shall bear their inequity for the number of days that you lie on it. For I have assigned to you a number of days corresponding to the years of their inequity. 390 days. Thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time. But on your right side, bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for 40 days, a day for each year. Then you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and prophesy against it now behold I will put ropes on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege this don't sound pretty yes. uh, and now think about it if this was actually going to happen he said you're gonna lie for 190 days like this and to make sure you don't turn I'm going to put ropes on you What kind of God is that? Right? But it's a sign. It's a sign of something. It's a vision of something. And so, what do you think he's talking about? Remember, it's a sign. One of the things is he's to carry, and it's the idea of your prophet of God. And the prophet of God is what? He has fallen. He's on his side. And what has caused him to fall? The sins of the nation. The inequity of the nation. So he says that you as this... Because remember, he's the lone prophet. He says all of this is going to be on you. All It's all going to be on you. And so for 390 days, it's going to be like this. And he says, and then you're going to be on your right side for 40 days. What's up with that? Okay, let's examine it. Verse 5. I have assigned to you a number of days corresponding to the years of their inequity. So in other words, each day represents a year. Right? corresponding to the years of their iniquity, 390 days, thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of who? Israel. Now that's the whole nation, northern and southern. And then sometimes northern is just referred to as, as Israel, as opposed to Judah, which is southern. Okay, now remember, Israel, the northern part of the country, was taken off in captivity to Assyria before this. Now, then it says, verse 6, When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, put on your right side, and bear the inequity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for forty days a day for each year. Now this is to Judah. So obviously he's saying this is to the nation as a whole, and now this is to Judah. So Judah is forty years, the nation gets three hundred and ninety was it 90 days? 390, 390 days?
1: Yeah.
0: So, what does this represent? Or how would we interpret this? Most of the time, we can't. we got to guess, right? Unless you come to Wednesday night Bible study. <laughs> 90, 390 years, and forty years is three hundred is 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 four hundred and thirty years. That's how long they were a nation under the kingship. That's exactly how long they were under as a nation. Technically, it's it's almost thirty three years. So basically, what he's saying to the whole nation of Israel. And then Israel is taken in another 40 years for the remnant that were left in the southern part, say to them. So basically he's saying, for the whole time that we had kingship, because remember they wanted kingship, and they they put that together. So from the first king, uh, 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 in true King David, all the way down to the last king who was taken into exile, is this number of days. So all of a sudden, now the lights come on a little bit. So he's saying, for the whole time that you've been a nation, that inequity, your sin has been there. Because remember, he was sending prophet after prophet to them, and they wouldn't heed the prophet. You're not getting it. You know, He sent, he sent, uh, uh, um, he sent Jeremiah to them. He sent Isaiah to them. Uh, you know, and, and they, they just did not get it. They would not do it. And during that kingship um, time, uh, I forget how many kings there were, northern and southern. Um, I forget off the top of my head right now how many there were. But let's just say ballpark, there was 100 kings. Out of those 100 kings, probably six of them were good. And they were only good for a small portion of the time. And the only reason they were good is because they went to Scripture, they read the law, and they had the people come back to law, to the law, like in the time of Jehoshaphat and stuff like that, and uh, Josiah, uh, and kings like that. So, you know, so the whole time that they had the temple there, the whole time that they worshipped there, the whole time that the Ark of the Covenant was there, they were sinning. Their their inequity was there. And God was warning them with prophet after prophet after prophet. They had the law. They knew better. And so he's saying to him, he says, you're going to carry the weight of what this nation has done since I gave them the king that they wanted. And they did, you know, all of this stuff. All of that is going to be on you. Not meaning that it's his responsibility. It's like the weight. It's like when you preach the gospel. What What are we doing? What's the weight when we preach the gospel? It's life and death, right? Somebody's not going to receive the gospel; it's death to them. If they receive it, it's life. Well, that's weight, right? When you when you really look at it, but here he's saying to this prophet, you're going to be speaking to these people that are in exile, and you're going to be telling them why they're here and what God is doing, and realize realize the weight, the gravity, the expanse of what you're telling them, because you're going to be the prophet that gets them. I'm jumping ahead. But you're going to be the prophet that gets them out of, in a sense, out of their bondage and gets them to begin to return home. And it's just going to be a remnant. It's just going to be a few people. So, uh, and then later on, we're going to find out about God's plans for their return. Because when we read this, and what we're going to read tonight, it's almost like God has no plan for them because he's judging them. This, This is judgment. They were off the land because of judgment. And we're going to be getting into more judgment here in, in a second. But remember, God always has a plan. He always has a, a something for the people. And we'll get into that in a second. So, and then the rope things. You're tied to the task. In other words, he's saying, you know, he's for 22 years, he's, he's going to say this to these people. You're tied to the task. And I think it's, maybe, let me <laughs> tie it, no pun intended, into Sunday's sermon about ministry, about the fact, you know, that ministry always isn't going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes we're going to be pressured. Sometimes these things are going to go in. But, you know, realize that we need to be, in a sense, tied to it, that we're going to weather the storm, no matter what, what, what happens. We're going we're to we're we're stay the course. So thoughts, questions on that? So that 390 and 400 days make a little more sense now. Mm-hmm. And again, when you read these things, um, the difficulty comes in that not all your information is going to be right in the passage. Mm-hmm. People who lived it back in that day, oh, they would get it. They would, They would get it because they knew the history. It's like us. You say, oh, well, you know... This country is, you know, 207 years old, yada, 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 you know, in 1776, and, you know, we, we get it, we identify when, when we hear those kind of terms, right? And uh, uh, so realize that the first audience, they understood that we're so far away from that that we don't really understand, realize how long that time period uh, was of kingship. But that's how long they had uh, kings over them. And just a little side note on kingship, that the tragedy of the kingship, is that God was trying to show them that he is their king, and they wanted an earthly king. And all it did was cause them calamity for 430 years. An earthly king. That's why Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. is that, King? We're in, a, we're in a monarchy. Okay. Thoughts, questions, comments? Good? Juicy. Uh.
2: I'm still
0: confused. Why you confused? <clears throat> so you said that
2: none of this happened. Um...
0: What I mean when I say none of it happened is he's not going to lay on his side for 390 days. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they for 430 years didn't respond to God, yeah, that did happen. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying to him, he's taking and, and using it as a metaphor for what happened that whole time, that the weight of everything that happened is going to be like you're taking 390 years of of Israel not obeying, and that weight is going to be all you you can do is is point to them if they did wrong. So it's a metaphor. And then for 40 years on your other side, it's a metaphor, but the actual 400-some years, yeah, that did happen. Before this, yes, because it ended when they when they when they went to Babylon. That that ended kingship, because when they come back, there's no more kings of Israel. Okay, which is another thing we're going to get into in a second. So, so yeah, thanks for saying that because there are actual events here that are referenced. But what Ezekiel, he's telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel is not actually doing per se, but he's making Ezekiel aware of what he's going to have to do, you know, based upon the big picture. So there's going to be some more here. It's going to get a little rougher before it gets a little easier. So verse 9 to 17. But as for you... Take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, spilt. Put them in one vessel. Make them into bread for yourself. You shall eat it according to the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days. Okay, now see, if he was actually doing this, now he's tied with ropes, he's laying on his side. How is he going to make lentils and beans, and how is he going to eat it? See what I mean? But he's, he's, it's, it's imagery of something. Part of this thing here is that Jews... Back in that day, they didn't mix these ingredients. This is stuff that happened in Babylon. Mixing these different ingredients and coming up with all... Their, their diet was very simple. They had very simple bread, fish, kind of, you know, stuff like that, vegetables, kind of. They had simple diets according to Levitical law. The other nations, you know, they mixed all kinds of stuff and they did all these kind of things. So this is part of what he's talking about here is that... He's bringing in the element of Gentile, the others. Okay, so verse 9. But if you take wheat, barley, lentils, millet, spilt, put them in one vessel, make them into bread for yourself. You shall eat it according to the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days. Your food which you eat shall be 20 shekels a day by weight. You shall eat it from time to time. And the water you drink will be the sixth part of a hymn of measure, and you shall drink it from time to time. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, having baked it in their sight over human dung. You. Yeah. Okay. Like I say, it's, it's not going to get better. Verse 13. Then the Lord said, Thus shall the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean. Notice, unclean if it was clean, it means they were living in the land, they were doing things according to Levitical law, they were obeying God. When it's unclean, they are not obeying God. Right? Okay. Uh, Verse 13, the Lord said, Thus shall the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I shall banish them. So now, he brings this idea in that they're going to be banished to other nations because Their dysphoria, their fact that they were taken to Babylon, doesn't really end the wandering of the Jews. We're going to get to it again in a second. Not all of them come back from Babylonian captivity. Only a few of them. Some of them stay there, and then later on, you know, they're going to be kicked out of Israel anyway, and they have to go up into Europe and and all over and uh, come over here and start delis. Anyway, (laughs) verse 14. But I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I have never been defiled. So in other words, he's saying, I've never eaten food like this. He said, I've never, I've never done this. I've never, because it's like, again, he's getting a sign. He's getting a vision of something. And it's kind of like, he says, okay, don't, don't make me do what I've never done. I've, I've never done this because he's trying to live according to the the law, right? Uh, from my youth until now, I have never eaten what died of itself or has been torn by beasts, nor has any unclean meat ever entered my mouth. Then he said to me, see, I shall give you cow's dung in place of human dung over which you prepare your bread. Oh, man. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, behold, I'm going to break the staff ...of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety, drink water by measure and in horror, because bread and water will be scarce, and they will be appalled with one another, and taste away, and waste away in their inequity. Basically, he's telling them you're going to get eight ounces of food a day here, and basically what he's talking about is that you're going to be in a time of famine. You're going to be in a time where food is going to be rationed. You're going to be a time when you're eating other people's food. So it's a picture of where they are in Babylon, but it's also a picture of the fact that because of their inequity, they were taken as a nation off of the land, and not all of them are going to come back right away.
1: Does it have anything to do with that diet plan? With uh, the time where Jerusalem is besieged? mm mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, 70 AD, yeah. Okay. We're going to get into that in a second. That's all there. Some of what he's saying is your present situation, but realize Ezekiel, his ministry is going to span not only when they come back, but what their future is going to be once they come back. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be in there as well. Okay. We're going to close with some of that tonight. So, yeah. So, they can eat defiled bread, food in foreign lands. Um, say this about Israelis, Jewish people. Okay. I think I said this to you before. There's a difference between Hebrews, Israelis, and Jews. They're all the same, but they're described differently. Hebrews are when you're not on the land, you're aliens. So, in other words, when they came out, of Egypt and bondage, they're known as Hebrews. In the New Testament when when the author is writing to the Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish believers who were not living in Israel. So Hebrews means aliens, foreigners. Um, They become Israelites at the time of Joshua, when they actually take hold of the land. They become Israelites. Jewish people, when you have the term Jew... That refers to nationality, but it also refers to religiosity. So in other words, you can be a Jew by religion. You're following Jewish customs, and like that. So, uh, So they're off the land. So technically, they're not Israelites. They're Hebrews. They're wanderers right now. But they're tied to the land. That's why presently in Israel that's why all this fighting over the land and all this stuff that's been going on since 1948 and, and getting back to the land, their identity is tied to the land and so that's why land is so important with, with, uh, with uh, Israel because number one God gave it to them and, and they were off of it for you know, over 2,000 years and then they came back, again we're going to end with a little bit of that but their identity is tied to the land. So when they're off of the land, it's, it's like they don't have an identity. It's kind of like, as an, as an American, if I'm living in another country, I'm living under a different set of laws, different set of governments, I can't say, hey, I'm an American, you gotta, I got my rights here. No. No, 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 they don't work like that. You know, I'm living in a foreign land and so I either have to adapt to that foreign land or live as an alien, right? Alien's not a bad term. It just means you're... you're, And that's what Jews did for 2,000 years. They lived as aliens in other lands. That's why the whole point of reestablishing Israel as a nation, especially while it was so important after the Holocaust and World War II so that it would, they would avoid those Holocaust issues, that... Again, they're tied to the land. Their blessing is tied to the land. And they are to be on the land. Therefore, they would not be aliens. So technically for Jews, you know, that's why they, they always uh, they have a blessing. Next year in Jerusalem. Another news, next year we're all going to live in Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. So, so eating another land, in a sense, defiles them. Because they don't have their customs, they don't have the priesthood, they don't have the law, they don't have the temple, they don't have the ark of the covenant, they they cannot uh, uh, operate as Jews. And when they do return to Jerusalem, it's going to be in shame, because the city's torn down. And this is a story in Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, the walls are torn down, and uh, in, in Nehemiah's time, you know, he has to rebuild the walls because anybody could go in. And if they were to reestablish the temple and put the things, the menorahs and all the, you know, the things back in the temple, any nation could come in and, and ride and storm and take them on you know, all that stuff away. So you have to have the walls around the city. You had to fortify the city first. And so that's why that was important. But, you know, people were limping back. And when you read Ezra and you read Nehemiah, which is actually one scroll originally in Hebrew, it wasn't broken up. It was one scroll. Uh, you read about people that are coming back in shame. They realize that they had lost everything because of their sin. They realize, you know, they they understood what Ezekiel was saying. They're limping back, and they're going back to a land that has not been producing because they're not on it. So what happens, it takes you time as a farmer to get the land back to producing and sheep and, and all this other stuff, right? So it takes time. It's kind of like getting over COVID. Anyway, I just throw my little zings in there every once in um, a while. So when they return, it's like, you know, they return in shame, and but there's also famine going on. And so it says, you know, when you go back, you know, food is going to be limited and you're going to be appalled because of what's going on. And think, you know, that this was the land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. This was the land that produced fruit in abundance. Remember when the spies... Right out the land, and the fruit was more than you know. In uh, I think last week we talked about it uh, that that Israel today, you know, per acre, you get more per acre than any place else in the world yes. off their, their 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 ground. It's just abundant there. In a small small little country, produces that. So thoughts, questions on that, and um, and you know, and the thing with you know eating over you know dung and all that stuff, it's just. The idea is detestable. It's just gross. It's just, again, think of it in terms of what would it be like to live? How would you describe knowing, as a Christian, knowing God's goodness? How would you now describe living without God's goodness and His blessings? Right? Because we know how good He is, we know all that. So, how would you describe that? All of a sudden, it's gone. It's going to be like eating like this. It's going to be—it's—it's it's not going to be pleasant. So that's—that's that's the deal. But you see, Ezekiel has to now in his twenty-two year ministry. He's got to say it to these people in a way that they get it, right? He's like a. a, a, a Somebody giving a speech or or a sermon or something, you got to say it in terms of where it connects with them that they that they really get what's 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 going on. So, thoughts, questions, We're good. Verse, chapter five. It says, "As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword." Take it, use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard. Then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. Wait a minute, come on. Come on. Okay, I'm going to get a sword, and I'm going to cut my hair, and I'm going to shave, and then I've got to pick it up and i got to weigh it. See, it's not something that actually happened, but something's going on mm-hmm. in this. So that's for you, send a man, take a sharp sword. A sword is what? A Military offensive weapon. Mm-hmm. Take, a sh- take a sword. You know, because he doesn't say, take a barber's razor or whatever, you know, put a number two attachment.
1: Mm-hmm. He doesn't <laughs> say that.
0: You know, he says, take a take a sword, and use it. Uh, then take scale uh, scales for weighing, and divide the hair. One third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city. When the days of the siege are completed, then you take one third and strike it with the sword. All around the city, one third you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath a sword behind them take also a few in number from them and bind them on the edges of your robes take again some of them and throw them into the fire and burn them in the fire from it a fire will spread to all the house of jerusalem so if i'm to believe this literally this guy's to take a sword Cut off all his hair in his beard, and part of it is going to now be used to burn the entire city of Jerusalem. No. What's going on? Razor in the hair. It's directed at the priesthood. Who's Ezekiel? A priest. He's a priest. What was one of the things that the priest did not do? Shade. They didn't shave, they didn't cut their hair. So, again, what are we talking about? Defiled. We are talking about a priesthood that you might as well cut your hair, shave your beard, divide it, burn it, scatter it throughout the whole country. It's useless. In other words, your religiosity is useless what you did as a priesthood is useless now here's here's the takeaway as a as a, as a as a pastor as as Christians okay we need to be careful as a church I don't mean just this building I mean the body of Christ that we don't become useless in what we do right because we are all in a sense prophets in that we share what God has said nothing outside of what God has said but we share what God has said Said right, and so it, it's supposed to bear fruit. And so what he's saying is, you know, don't even look like a priest. And uh, um, uh, uh, it's 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 directed at the priesthood. It's it's a scathing attack on the priesthood. It's it's like if you if you could take that one thing to the priesthood, that says that, that, that would take away their identity. It would be that. Because they were, they, were, they were ID'd by that. Right? It's kind of like... Uh, if, if, okay, if... If you were walking down the street and a conservative rabbi walked by you, you wouldn't know it. But if an orthodox rabbi walked by you, you would know it. By the way they dressed and by the curls... You know, and uh, uh, so it says, we're we're going to remove your identity. That's huge. That's huge. That's, 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 mm. because again, the priesthood should have been the ones that guided the people because they were in charge of the law. They were in charge of the temple stuff. But, you know, they just became weak. They became useless. They, They let bad kings rule them and tell them what to do. In other words, they um, they didn't they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't do what they were called to do, and so he says, you know, God says, "This is warfare against you. Take a weapon of warfare and cut your hair." See, God is in the God is saying, "This is my warfare on you because all of this is judgment." Everything we're reading is judgment on the people and now the priesthood. Judgment. But he's giving it Ezekiel to in terms, because don't forget Ezekiel. You're going to have to go to the priest, too. You're going to have to go to everybody. Uh, and it's like that hair, he says, you know, divide it, spread it, it's burned, it's useless. It's going to scatter it. He says to take some of it and throw it to the wind and God says, I'm going to come behind with a sword and just... Right? So it's useless. Again, so we see this and we go like, what are you talking about? But somebody from this time would go, oh my gosh, you're taking away their identity of who they are. Right? So he says, do that. Um, So, this is... um, Israel is supposed to be a theological government. God governed. Scriptures. It's supposed to be a theological government. We're democracy, right? Other people, by the people, for the people, Uh, election kind of thing. As opposed to a religious government like, say, Iran, which is Muslim, which is a religion. Now, some people get this confused. Religion doesn't mean Christianity. Religion means you're following something. So when people say, Well, I'm religious, okay, yeah, well what are you following? Where are you where are you going with it? Or oh, they say, Well, I'm spiritual. Yeah, everybody's spiritual. The devil's spiritual. Mm. that that don't tell me anything. You know, you don't want to identify, well, I'm spiritual. You know, and it's like that you can wash your car religiously. You <laughs> know, you can do whatever religiously. So the word mm-hmm. religion, so when people say Especially when you're evangelizing and say, well, you know, I'm not into religion. And you say, well, I'm not either. You know, we follow this. And so technically, we as Christians are under theocracy. God rule, God govern, right? And so that's where sometimes the tension comes in. And that's why some people don't like us bringing God into government. Because what does that say to them? You've got a higher power than me. You've got a higher power than me. You're bringing God into this. You know, people don't like that because they don't have anything to confront that. So, but anyway, um, Israel is supposed to be a theological government, and so part of this getting on them in all this and, and, and speaking to them is because they failed theologically. Failed. And this again is a, is a tragedy, because they had the scriptures, they had the priesthood. God revealed Himself to them. God moved through them. God redeemed them. God did these things, and being at the house of rebellion, as a, you know, as Larry said, you know, and 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 stubborn. They just did not follow God. And so Ezekiel, I think the thing about Ezekiel that's difficult but it's really not difficult when you break it down is the weight of theological understanding that god places on ezekiel's ministry and and the failure because all the other prophets were basically you know were saying well you know you didn't seek god God said, if you return to me, then I will restore your fortunes and this and that, but if you don't, I will take you off the land. Their their message was somewhat limited, but when you read all of this, and we're not going to read every line all the way through Ezekiel, but we're going to get enough so that we, that we know and understand the weight of the theological content that's in Ezekiel. It's, it's, it's the whole whole nine yards. And I just found out what that meant. You know what the whole nine yards means? Yeah. See, when you come to... <laughs> The whole nine yards. Yes, he knew. 27 feet is how long the bullets are in a machine gun, which is nine yards. So when you say give them the whole nine yards, you'll give them every single bullet. The whole nine yards. And I was going to give you a million-dollar (laughs) bill. I got two left. Yes. That was
2: so... But a year ago, I was trying to um, witness to one of my ex-students,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and she comes telling me, I know that you're a religious person. I said, no, I am not. And then she said, you know, you're talking about it, and she said, well, you're spiritual. I said, no. And then she said, you know, this." I said, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. And that I can tell you about. And she said, well, I don't want to talk about that. So... It's sort of like, and I thought to myself, where do I go from there? Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I have tried again, and it's like, no, we can be friends. Just don't talk about that.
0: I'd pray about it. Let us know. Let us pray about it. But at some point, bring it back up. And one of the questions in there that you can ask is you don't want to talk about spirituality or you don't want to talk about something, how does that make you feel? You know, because you can say, okay, maybe that's going to bring out why they feel like that. You know, and then at some point it's like, you know, well, the Bible says that if you die in your sins, you're going to hell. How do you feel about that? You know, you can do to express because a lot of times they don't understand the gravity and the weight of salvation. It's, it's life and death. And they they think that being spiritual or having some sort of, they don't understand the rebirth. They don't understand Christ dwells on the inside. They don't understand, you know, the the, the action of the Holy Spirit on us. And so that's what they don't get. And they don't get it because there's nothing that we can relate to outside of God, they say, "Well, it's like that." Mm-hmm. See, but that's what screams for it to be God. It's like Trinity. A lot of people don't don't want to believe Trinity. They say, "Well, I, I, I can't believe that. I don't understand. There's nothing like that. I can relate to it." That's why it's God. You know. You know one of the one of the description is why well, you say, "Well, the, the Trinity is like." Steam, water, and ice, it's all H2O, but all at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you can have the different parts, but at it's, but it's the same point, it's steam, water, and ice all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, And so wh- what do we have on earth to relate to? Like, no, you don't, because God's outside of that. So to answer your question is you've got to find a way to get them to bring up the emotion why they won't go there. You know, you kind of sneak in the side door a little bit with it. But it's difficult because some people will put up a wall and the wall is there because they can't explain what they're feeling. And so once you can get the wall to come down a little bit, then you can interject truth into what they're feeling and then they'll begin to see it. So, that's, yeah, so okay. Any other questions? That's this last part here verse 5 to 17. Thus says the Lord God, chapter 5, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with lands around her. Right there, boom. Jerusalem, Israel, the center of the nations. You know, when this was written, you know, who would have thought that little chunk of land in that area would be so important, you know, until about 150 years ago, they discovered oil and other things over there, and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, you can say, "Okay, I, I get it now," you know. But back then, it was just a little spit of land, and you know, who knew it was going to be the center of all this stuff? And you can see now that you know Armageddon and the end of stuff. Yeah, it could, it will definitely happen over there. So thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her for a reason, but she has rebelled against my ordinances, which means his law, more wickedly than the other nations, and against my statutes more than the lands surrounding her, for they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. You see, because they should have known better, their priest should have taught them, they they had this stuff, and so they rejected it, as opposed to somebody that just doesn't really. No. Right? Verse 7. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have more turmoil than the nations which surround you and have not walked in my statutes or observed my ordinances or observed the ordinances of the nations which surrounded you. This is kind of like the church. You know, there's an accountability to the church because when, when Jesus comes back, he's going to stop where first? Church. Okay. Uh, verse 8 therefore thus says the Lord God behold I am against you and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations so now God is saying things are going to happen to you as a nation of people and it's going to be my judgments upon you because you did not do not only what I asked you to do but what you said you were going to do because remember back when the law was given to them and, you know, Mount Sinai, and it was read to them, and all the people said, yes, we will do this. And they established covenant with them. And then Moses goes back up to the mountain, and they build the golden calf, and, you know, and that, that just starts, you know, the, the downward cycle of all this stuff. But many times the people have all stood together and said, yes, we will do this. We will follow God no matter what. So, again... What's coming down is judgment. They're off of the land because of judgment. But what he's saying, judgment has not stopped, and judgment is going to continue for a while here because of this. Because remember, four hundred and thirty some years they weren't following God. And they weren't following God before that either. That's that's just the priesthood part of it. And so, so now you think it's going to be okay? Seventy years? Go back to the land. Everything's going to be good.
2: So Pastor Steve, do you think the Holocaust is part of the judgment of God?
0: Tough question. I think the Holocaust is a result of them not having their own land. Now the result of them not having their own land is because they didn't follow God. So, but when you say it that bluntly, you know, but the reality is, and again, when you're evangelizing or when you're talking, sometimes you have to say blunt things. And I mean that—that that is the result. If they would have had a nation, you know, you know that movie, The Exodus. Have you ever seen the mm-hmm. movie The Exodus? Yeah. It was all about that boatload of people. That, 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 and they were all Jews, and they were looking for a country that was going to take them. Mm-hmm. And no country would take them. Mm-hmm. Now think about that in terms of judgment. Think about that in terms of what. I mean, we didn't even take them. We turned them away in New York. But what turns people's hearts like that, that people would do that? You'd think somebody would take them. And they ended up going back over there, and they all got, you know.
2: You know, many of the Cubans in exile, Christians, believe yeah. that Cuba is in the condition that it is for having rejected the boat full of Jews
0: you know again this is part of the blessings of being saved through Jesus Christ is he's the judge he makes those calls we don't and so you know I wouldn't I wouldn't put myself in that position to say that other than I think in terms of our own country that was, that was a big mistake, not accepting them, yeah. just on a humanitarian yeah. basis, yeah. but now on a spiritual level. But then the other side, once Israel has become a nation, no country has supported them more than the United States. Yeah. Hmm. So there's a measure of blessing for us, because I will bless those that bless you, I will curse. those that curse you. Sure. So, yeah, you're in that. So, yeah, yeah. And an uh, interesting point. And again, some some of those things people sometimes just don't want to talk about, but it's there. It's I mean, it's you. At some point, you got to really look at it and say, "Yeah, you know."
1: Well, with, I don't know except in Babylon, uh, wherever they went, they, they grew and prospered. Yes. And you then see, the jealousy took against against them,
0: because in the covenants, and I'm going to close with this in a second with the covenants. God established different covenants with the people. Some are based on what God will do. Some covenants are based on what the people will do in response to God. But some, you know, the the covenants of God says, I will prosper you. So God didn't stop that. See, God doesn't cut his covenant. He's, I'm going to prosper you. You want to live in Egypt? Fine. But eventually they're going to put you into slavery. But I'm still gonna prosper you. That's why the people don't realize it, but Genesis, the book of Genesis, Genesis ends. There's seventy-five people in Egypt. The beginning of Exodus is two and a half million in over four hundred years. That's rabbits can't do that. Well, I maybe mean, I don't know. But, but but the point is that God said, I'm gonna prosper you and 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 what was the problem when you, when you read exodus uh, is is it that, that, that pharaoh was worried because their their women through labor they just popped those babies out they weren't, you know kids weren't dying they were they were all that you know i'm I'm going to bless you so but also where god says if you don't do this i'm going to do this that's there too yeah. So the totality of the covenants, and maybe that's something that we can look at after June or something, if you guys want to, or whatever you want to do. Let's look at the entire covenant of God, because there is an individual covenant. It's one covenant, but God's revealing different aspects of it all along the way. So you see what the total total covenant is. So uh, Let's see. First nine, And because of your abominations, I will do among you what I have not done, and the like of which I will never do again. So in other words, he says, I'm going to do to you what I haven't done yet, and what I'm not going to do again. See, on one hand, when you talk about chosen people, okay, chosen, that doesn't mean better than. That doesn't mean you get a free ride. God chose them to tell his story and what he's doing through them. And so that means you got more of a responsibility. Again, what's the takeaway from the church? God's telling the story through us, right? So we have the responsibility to tell God's story. Verse 10, Therefore, now here's here's a good one. Therefore fathers will eat their sons among you. Sons will eat their fathers, for I will execute judgment on you and scatter you, all your remnant to every wind. This is not cannibalism. This is not cannibalism it's It's the idea of uh um uh, you know you know it says Jesus says, you know you know family will be against family, brother against brother, you know, father against son, you know there's going to be turmoil you know in you know in you know it's it's like what do we say when a, when a family has arguments and they can't get along they are what they're devouring each other they tear each other up. And eventually, you know, the schism becomes so great they can't get back together. And this is what he's talking about here: is that you know, uh, once the the son might want to come back to Jerusalem, the father might not want to go. You know, I mean, did you see that that ending scene in um, it's, it's the last scene in Fiddler on the Roof, oh, yeah. where some mm-hmm. are going yeah. and some are kind of staying, and there's a, there's that all that you know yeah. going on there. Some of them couldn't see leaving. Others saw I had to leave, but what did it do? It tore families apart. Right. Literally tore families apart. Um, so I edu- execute judgment on you, scatter you and all your remnant to every wind. So in other words, he's saying Jews are going to be scattered throughout the planet. Verse 11. So as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary. Notice the sanctuary. Because Where does he start? Take the brick, put Jerusalem on it, and point towards the holy city. Uh, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable idols, with all your abominations, therefore I will also withdraw my eye, show no longer pity, and I will not spare you. One third of you will die by plague or be consumed by famine among you. One third will fall by the sword around you, and one third will scatter to every wind and i will unsheath a sword behind them you could make an argument if you want to go to the holocaust kind of thing you could use this in a sense you see you know i don't have any definitive thing that says that but god says he's going to judge them and some of them are going to fall by the sword you know so they're going to be scattered there's going to be famine there's going to be different things that are going to happen to them it's it's judgment Verse 13, thus my anger will be spent and I will satisfy my wrath on them and I shall be appeased. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. Again, when they come back from Babylonian exile they're never really going to be in control of the land again they're going to be subservants of others In the time of jesus rome is the one who controls the land and then rome eventually in 70 a.d larry talked about it in the beginning 70 a.d rome finally kicks them kicks them out and destroys the temple and that's what you see today you see you don't see the temple anymore because rome destroyed it and dispersed them that's it's called the the, the diaspora So 14, moreover, I will make you a desolation and reproach among the nations which surround you in sight of all who pass by. And so it will be a reproach, a reviling, a warning, an object of horror to the nations who surround you. In other words, God's going to look at this and say, look at what their God is doing. Look at what God is doing. Again, when I read this and I see this, you know, you talk in terms of judgment You know, and you're talking about judgment. Yes, God is a loving God, but there is judgment. Judgment will come. You know, we have to be prepared for that. And because God so loved us, we have Christ. When I execute my judgment against you in anger, wrath, raging rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. Then I send against them the deadly arrows of famine, which were for the destruction of those whom I shall send to destroy you. Then I shall... Also intensify the famine upon you. Break the staff of bread. Moreover, I will send you on famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you of children, plague, bloodshed. Also will pass through you, and I will bring the sword on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Boom. Boom. And again, 2,000 years off the land after the time of, 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 of Christ because the people have acted wickedly. Um, you know, let's see, what do I want to say here? Just kind of wrap this up. You know, we see this, but, just a little glimpse into next week, just look at chapter 6, verse 8, 9 and 10. He says, however, now remember, after all of this stuff, he says however I shall leave a remnant which is a small amount of people for you will have those who escape the sword among the nations when you were scattered among the countries then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which you will be carried captive where are they going to remember him in the nations where they were taken mm-hmm. how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot with their idols and their them themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed for all the abominations. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would afflict disaster on them. So in other words, he's saying here, and we're going to get bits of it more later, you know, I'm not going to totally wipe them out because there is a covenant. God cannot... Wipe them out any more than, 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 uh, uh, Abraham could kill Isaac. Because the covenant was through Isaac. So when he raised the sword, and you say, how could he do that? Well, he knew that no matter what happened, God was going to have to raise up Isaac because the blessing in the covenant was through Isaac. That's theology. And so, Israel and in, in the people, uh, uh, cannot be wiped out totally because there is a covenant relationship there, right? And it gets played out in end times. So there has to be a restoration. And so we're living in biblical times, you know, uh, um, because especially, you know, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again and all this stuff. So think about that for for 2,000 years or so, they weren't on that land, they were dispersed, they were, yeah, yeah, and then... You know, it says in uh, Isaiah, who's heard of such a thing, a nation being born in one day? Mm -hmm. Well, on May 14th, they weren't a nation. May 15th, they raised the flag. 1948, they became a nation. Mm -hmm. They were trying to do diplomatic stuff, and they finally they said no. And they raised the flag, and from that point on, they became a nation. And Isaiah said, who's heard of such a thing, a nation being born in one day? That's what happened. So I'll stop with that. Questions? Comments? You start making sense? We good, Drew? Seek. am good. Yeah. And again, I'm not going to go through all of the things, but I just want to get you to give you a taste of of what God's laying this heavy burden that God is feeling upon Ezekiel, because Ezekiel now has to lay that burden upon the people, right? And when he's speaking to them, but it's going to end up with. But I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to bring you back. There's going to be a remnant that's going to be good. But there was judgment because they didn't follow me. You know, so I'll hold it with that. Thoughts, questions? We good? Let's close in prayer. Again, Father, we just thank you for what we've read, what we've heard, what we understood, for what we question, Lord, that as we go back, as we re read, Lord, uh, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Uh, we thank you for the indwelling of the Spirit, Lord, that uh, guides our conversation, guides our thoughts, guides our, our, our content looking in Scripture, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you as we leave the sanctuary but not your presence that you continue to strengthen us, guide us, encourage us, heal us, watch over us, Lord. In this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray amen I thank you guys see you